0: Welcome to The Orchard. For those of you tuning in from out of town, this morning I'm going to be speaking about something happening really local here to our area. But the principles transcend what's happening here and affect your life and where you are and whatever you're going through. Because right now here where we are the Pine Gulch Fire in Garfield County is one of the largest wildfires in Colorado history and it's still growing unchecked. On the other side we have the Grizzly Creek Fire. It's now the number one priority wildfire in the entire nation. And this fire is threatening not only our beloved landmarks around the area, but the very city that many of us live in, work in. I was born there. It's Glenwood Springs. It's interesting with COVID, we had this invisible enemy and we have all this conflicting information. And oftentimes you would have to turn on the news to be confronted with the reality or the fear or the frustration With COVID, you can go on social media and you just see a battle zone of different opinions across the spectrum. But with these wildfires, no cable network, no YouTube video is needed to understand the danger with crystal clarity. Social media is united that wildfires are dangerous. And I don't need to turn on the TV to be confronted by the reality or the fear of the fire because I just have to look out my window to see that giant plume, that giant cloud of smoke. Towering over our area. I see the haze that that covers the cities. I, I feel the burning even now in my throat after having had to work in it all day. You see, for those of us in our area, let's admit something. When we wake up, we look outside our window, it causes a reaction within us. For some people I've talked to, it causes tears as they see their city just shrouded. For others, there's a curse. For others, it's just some long exhale like, what's next? On one end, you have Sopras, completely shrouded. And on the other, you have Glenwood under this thick blanket of acrid smoke. For others, we live in the path, or what could be the path, of the Grizzly Creek fire. And so the fear isn't some imaginary idea or or notion. It's real for us. I mean, we have thoughts like, do we have to evacuate? Will I lose everything? We have to admit these things come to us. How, how far is everyone's looked and said, How far is my house from this? How far is my loved one's house from this? And I know people who've been evacuated, people here in our church, some from No Name, some from Lookout Mountain. And I've, I watched that video of Jim Bear um, saying what he thought was his last goodbye to Bear Ranch, his family homestead for over 100 years. And I, I heard in his voice, I heard his voice crack with sadness as he said, We've got to go. And then he panned around the, the farm, the ranch, just one more time before he could hear his breathing, and, and he just ran. And tears came to my eyes. The Grizzly Creek fire isn't just some idea or notion. It's in our faces. It's in our nose. It's in our lungs. And the concern and the fear and all the, the sober planning that we're trying to do, I mean, on top of all that 2020 has already brought us, we are under an incredible amount of stress. And during these times, people ask me, like, like when's this going to stop? Or what do you think about it? Like, I have divine answers to local wildfires. Or, or they ask, why is this happening? Or what's next? I mean, where's the murder hornets that were around for like a, two, a couple days? Are they back? When it comes to all these questions, I have to admit, I don't have God's divine perspective. But what I do have is a biblical perspective. And, and say what you want about this book. But the one thing that's very unique about it from from cover to cover and on every single page in between is it is the account of humans dealing with disaster and suffering and pain and loss, fear. These pages, on these pages are are people like you and like me. Accounts in the Bible of people who are actually evacuating who are planning for a worst case scenario, who are under intense pressure, who are, who are losing hope, who are losing loved ones, who are losing everything, not knowing what to do and looking for answers. The Bible is not a book. It's not a book to tell you that if you believe in God enough, you just won't face any hardships or pain or suffering. It's not in here. To the contrary, the Bible's a book that says, listen, we live in a fallen world, and life will bring you great difficulty. But here's how you live in the midst of it. The Bible is not a handbook that tells you how to be prosperous and avoid suffering. In fact, the Bible is actually a love letter from God that that tells you how to give away your prosperity and how to have perseverance in suffering. The Bible is clear. The earth is full of hardship. Life is full of difficult circumstances. And disasters the Bible does talk about a place where there are no tears where there are no disasters where there's there's no tears to be shed and and if there's no tears to be shed it means there's no loss if there's no tears it means there's there's no smoke to burn your eyes if there's no tears to be shed it means there's no anxiety and no suffering but the Bible has a name for that place and it's not here on earth as we know it it's paradise it's heaven and we're not there yet. And so while the, the Bible will not tell you how to d- escape difficulty or, or have no disaster, it does tell you what to do in disasters. It does tell us how to act in the difficult circumstances. It does tell how we can respond in tragedy. I mean, let's, let's, let's just look through it for a second. We have Noah. Noah learned about an impending natural disaster that was going to befall him and his family and remove remove him from his home and everything he loved. Faced with this fact, Noah did one thing. He said yes to the next right decision. Noah could have dealt with all the variables, but he simply instead said yes to what God was asking of him. He experienced the pain, the loss, and the hardship, but he passed through it by simply doing the next right thing, by saying yes to the next thing God asked him. Then you have Jacob. I mean, Jacob was so manipulative, he became estranged from his entire family. And like many of us today, he was living a relational nightmare because of his poor relational decisions by himself and those around him. His character got him in so much relational trouble that he finally just had had to leave the people that he was born with and flee and go to a foreign place just to get away from them. Jacob was living a tragedy that, that he created. But as he came to terms with this, Jacob made some changes and he stopped running from his past and he stopped manipulating in his present. And instead, he chose to do the one next right thing. Instead, he began to just say yes to the next thing God asked him. And it didn't solve all of his relational problems, it didn't solve all of his issues, but it did transform his heart over time. And when your heart is transformed, it gives you an amazing opportunity to repair some relationships. We have Moses. Moses was an infant during a time when it was illegal to kill babies. His mother decided to keep him and he had, she had to hide him away and eventually she had to say goodbye to her infant and give him away to a, to a mom who could raise him safely. Moses had no choice in these matters. I mean, he was at the whim of, a, of an evil culture and the decisions of other people. He didn't choose this. He grew up actually privileged and at one point out of protest, he got violent and had to flee everything and everyone he knew because in his anger, it led him to murder. So because of his terrible decision-making, Moses left everything and fled to a remote area where he spent the next 40 years of his life just just tending sheep for a living. I mean, talk about a midlife crisis. You go from the palace to the pasture. I mean, you go go from purpose to just passing time. You go from servants waiting on you to waiting for sheep. But then God showed up. And God asked Moses to step forward into a new mission. And Moses didn't have much going for him at that time. But he did have one thing that you do in the midst of a crisis or hardship or a tragedy or a disaster. One thing. And that's what he said yes to what God was asking of him. He said yes to the next thing that God prompted him to do. And his life did not suddenly become rosy because of this. In fact, at times it got harder got harder and more difficult as he continued to just do the next right thing that God asked him. Yeah, Esther, I mean, she was thrust into a place that she didn't ask to be in, but because of her natural beauty, it opened some doors that she didn't even have to work for. And she found herself married to the richest man in the world and pampered every hour of every day. She lived a life of privilege, but then she heard about a tragedy that was gonna kill off all of her people, genocide. Esther didn't ask for this responsibility. She was living her life. She was just going through her life and everything was fine, more than fine. But then there was this fork in this road. God asked her to step up and speak out for those who couldn't speak for themselves. But this decision, I mean, this decision could literally cost her her life or at least her riches and her position. But Esther chose to do the one thing you can do when faced with such a terrible decision. You say yes to the next thing that God is asking asking of you. You do the next right thing, and you love those around you enough to stand up for them. What about Job? Job was a good man who built up a life for himself that was incredible. I mean, he had a big family. He had a homestead. He had wealth. He had everything in the world that would say, you're successful. But then unexpected disaster struck Job's life. Undeserved tragedy took his children from him. I mean, Job went to funerals that, that, that he never thought he would ever have to attend. Job lost everything, and, and he believed he didn't deserve any of it because, I mean, who deserves to lose their child? Job, Job didn't know what to do, so he just did the next wise thing. He waited on God, and he sought God. He didn't lash out. He didn't give up. He didn't curse God. He simply did the next wise thing. He he waited and he sought God in the midst of indescribable and overwhelming tragedy. That's what he did. The next right thing. Joseph, he was born to a wealthy family and he had privilege. He was his father's favored son. But then Joseph was kidnapped and actually he was a victim of child trafficking. He was sold into slavery to foreigners In one day, everything Joseph knew and loved was ripped from him. Disappeared. He was shipped to a foreign country. He became a slave to strangers. Gone were his loved one, his parents. Gone were the comforts. Gone was everything that he remembered life was. one, One fell swoop. But at every turn, Joseph did the one thing that he could do. He did the next right thing. Joseph said yes to the next thing that God asked him. And his reward for all this? Well, he was thrown in jail unjustly. He was was accused of a crime he didn't commit. I mean, reading Joseph's life is like reading 2020. I mean, what's going to hit next? Joseph went from his parents' house, child trafficked, to the bottom of a pit, and now in a foreign prison. But at every step, there's this sentence in Joseph's life throughout his story. And it says this, it says, but God was with Joseph. No matter where he went, no matter what disaster befell him, God was with him. And Joseph threw out the pit and then in the prison. He sought God's presence and said yes to every small step God asked for him. He did the one thing he could do. He said yes to the next thing God would ask him. We have Hosea. Hosea followed God and married a woman with with the intent of starting a family, but but this wife, she had significant issues and she was chronically unfaithful. Hosea was obviously heartbroken. He didn't know what to do, so instead he just did the one thing he knew he could do. He said yes to, to what God had asked of him. In the middle of a relational disaster, while his wife's character is crumbling, Hosea chose to do the next right thing and not let his character fall apart as well. Then we have Jesus. I mean, he started his ministry. He traveled around the area preaching God's good news. And if there's anyone on the planet that good things should happen to, can we just admit it's the Son of God? Like, he should get all the good things. If there's anyone who's ever walked the earth that deserves to, to, to blessing and luxury and freedom from tragedy and, and no difficult circumstances and, and no disasters, surely it's the Son of God, right? Surely. Surely. Jesus could call down a legion of angels at any minute and solve anything. He could turn water into the finest Cabernet Sauvignon. He could turn stones into prime rib if he wanted. At his disposal was the ability to make anything and everything easy and accommodating. At every turn, he, he had that ability. Yet, Yet Jesus chose to live like you and like me. Disaster struck him. Natural disasters affected him. He cried when loved ones died. He cried over a city that was in turmoil. He had at his his disposal all the riches of heaven, yet the Bible says he had no place to lay his head. He committed no sin, yet he was constantly framed and accused. The person who could arrange for himself the the perfect life, free from anything, told his disciples, hey, in this life, you're going to face trouble as he was facing trouble. Despite all his divinity, he allowed circumstances to move forward and found himself crucified on a cross after being tortured in the way that no human deserves, let alone the perfect, sinless Son of God. I mean, Jesus had the opportunity to stop every single tragedy. Yet the Bible calls him a man of sorrows who was well acquainted with grief. He had the opportunity to take the easy way out, yet the Bible says that that people hid their faces from him and despised him. Jesus did not have to experience any pain or suffering, yet the Bible says that people assumed he was smitten by God and afflicted by heaven. I mean, Jesus could have lived in luxury, yet he was tortured to the extent it says he was unrecognizable I mean, if there was anyone in history of the world who could have said, why are bad things happening to me? is Jesus. But do you know what he chose instead? He, he chose to do the next right thing, no matter what came his way. He, he chose to say yes to the next thing God prompted him to do, no matter what the circumstances were. Jesus chose to love God and love people, even in the midst of personal tragedy, Disaster. Even on the cross dying, he said a prayer for those who were killing him. I could go on for hours. The book is full of it. In fact, there's not really not anyone in here who got off the planet without tragedy, sorrow, pain, tears. We, we don't look to this book to see how to live an easy life. We look inside this book to, to, to find wisdom and strength on how to carry forward when life is hard. Because it will be. The Bible doesn't stand here and tell you how to get out of a pandemic or a wildfire. But the Bible does tell you how to selflessly love others you don't agree with in the midst of the pandemic. The Bible does tell you how to love God and love people in the midst of a fire. The Bible tells us to desperately seek God in hardship. The Bible tells us to deliberately help others when we're in hardship. Nowhere in here are instructions for an easy life. But you'll find people like you and me crushed by loss, frightened by disaster, and threatened with tragedy. And the Bible calls us to be grateful for the good times and the Bible calls us to be faithful in the difficult times. Listen, the faith that is so easy to live out when in the sunshine, God calls us to walk in that same faith under the shadow of smoke. The love that's so ex- easy to extend to others who we like, the Bible tells us to extend that love to others that we don't agree with and don't like. The life we breathe in and enjoy at the summit We're asked to to persevere through the dark valley when it hurts to breathe. I I can't tell you why bad things happen other than the fact that we live in, in a fallen world. We're not in paradise yet. But I can tell you that the Bible was written by people and to people like you and me, who are threatened, frightened, who've lost loved ones, who've tasted disaster, who are threatened by disaster, who who have lost homes, who've lost everything. And these people remained faithful. They said yes to God in the good times and in the bad times. And that's what God is asking of us. Church, in times like this, we have a unique opportunity to be the church in a whole different way that we don't normally. We have the chance to step up and help those in need, to to comfort those in fear, to to come to the aid of those in crisis, to lend a hand of those evacuating, to to be generous to those who are in loss, to to cry with those who are in tears, to stand with those who fall. And, And where you are active, the church is active. At every turn, let's keep our ear to heaven open For that prompt, and when we hear that prompt from God who says go or give or do or serve or help or pray, our hearts say yes to the next thing we hear from God. And we say yes to the next right thing to do. We can't solve the whole fire, but we can do the next right thing. We can't solve the whole pandemic, but we can say yes to the next prompt God gives us today. Today. I don't know why we suffer in certain ways. I don't know why some seem to go through life and have, have more hardship than others. I've always wondered this. Some have it easier, some have it harder, it seems to me. But the Bible speaks to this very thing. It speaks to both groups who have, seem to have it harder or easier. It speaks to them. It's in Hebrews 11, 32, listen to this. Listen. What more should I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, these people conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fury of the flames. They escaped the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became powerful in battle and routed armies. Women received back their dead, raised to, the, raised to life. I mean, what a list. What a life. All these accomplishments, all these amazing things of, that they're doing, quenching the flames. But it goes on. There's another group. It says this right after. There are others who were tortured some faced jeers and flogging, even chains or imprisoned. They were put to death by stonings. They were sawed in half. They were killed by the sword. They were wild skins around, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and the mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. We have two groups, and the Bible speaks to both of them, but, but what does it say about both? And we have the, the famous and the infamous. We have the privileged and the impoverished. We have the royal and the ragamuffins. We have the affluent and we have the afflicted. But the Bible says in the next verse, these were all commended for their faith. Both groups. Two lists. And here's the bottom line, church. Listen, I don't get to choose which list my name goes on. But regardless of which list I'm a part of, I still have the opportunity to do the next right thing. I still have the responsibility and the opportunity to say yes to the next prompt of God, whether I'm in luxury or whether I'm in loss. I have the same spiritual decision ahead of me and it makes all the difference in my story. Well, I say yes to the next prompt of God, whatever I'm going through. You see, because when we say yes, when we do that, when we, when we stand on our faith in that way, whether in wildfires or pandemics or, or, or hopefully in 2021, neither, it says the world's not worthy of us. And we are commended for our faith. Because we're not letting life happen to us, we're letting God's life work through us to change the world, to change other people, to help, to love. So today... and and tomorrow, and the next day, we have a few simple things to do. Here it is. Seek God. When tragedy and disaster hit, seek God. We're we're reminded, when it threatens us, we're reminded of just how much we actually need God. That's why so many people have come to God in 2020, or so many people have come back to God in 2020 because we become tangibly aware of just how much we're out of control and we need God. So the first thing we do is we seek God. We seek his presence in prayer, in the Bible, in conversations with those who follow him. We find a godly community and we commit to it. The next thing we do is we start with prayer. We start with prayer. We pray for circumstances, fires, for people's lives, for the responders, for pandemics, but the culture mocks this, and rightfully so in many ways. They say thoughts and prayers, but, and they're right. They're right to mock it if prayer is all we do. But, Orchard, here's the truth about who we are. We don't stop at prayer. We start at prayer. We don't pray and then stop. Prayer's where we start. And after that, we seek places and we seek ways to go love people and serve and help. I mean, perhaps you've been resourced internally with peace. Well, you can tangibly pass that peace on to other people. Remember that in a difficult situation, you carry gas and you carry water. On social media, I see people just throwing gas on every fire. Pandemics, politics, it doesn't matter what it is, they're just throwing gas on it. But you hold water as well. And in any conversation about pandemics or wildfires or anything in life, someone's marriage, someone's trouble, anything, you have the opportunity to throw gas on that and cause more panic, more fear, more concern. And you can actually have a conversation with somebody, throw gas on it, and they leave you more scared, more tensed up than before. Or you carry the calming water of life where you can douse, you can bring peace, you, you, you can douse anger at other people, you can speak words where people leave you transformed with a new perspective, loving others better. However God has gifted you, you, how can you tangibly help people in the midst of a disaster or the threat of a tragedy? Like, what can you do? Food distribution, funds distribution, lifting stuff, moving stuff, helping, whatever it could be, and Mr. Rogers has this famous quote about children when, he see, when there's tragedy. He says this. When I was a boy, I would see scary things in the news and my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You'll always find people who are helping. But here's the truth. That's fine for children. But that's not okay for God's church. During a crisis, don't look for the helpers. Be the helper. In fact, when others look for the helpers, may they see us, God's people, fully resourced with peace, using our gifts, however he's gifted us, to love others, to help others amidst tragedy. And so today, when threatened by disaster and tragedy, pandemic, school opening, school closing, election, drama, polarized nation, wildfire, local turmoil, financial concerns, with all that stuff, seek God start with prayer, but don't stop with prayer. Seek how you can help others and say yes when you feel God's prompt. At every point, do the next right thing. At every point, say yes to the next prompt you have from God. That's what you do in tragedy. That's what you do when threatened. Seek God. Start with prayer. How do you help others and say yes when prompted for the next right thing? You see... We don't have the luxury of living in a world without pain and problem. But as Jesus followers, we do have the blessing of being resourced by God in heaven and His Spirit to go forth and be what a hurting world needs most in their pain and their problem. And so as, as you leave this, as we leave this, ask yourself, what can I go and do and be? How has God uniquely knit me together To go say yes and and cause change, bring comfort, bring peace, tangibly help somebody. Go and be what God called us to be. He called the church to be his hands and his feet. And and, and let let us say yes to God's prompts. Even when, here's the deal even when we ourselves are threatened, even when we ourselves are frightened, even when we ourselves are going through turmoil, let's say yes to God's next prompt. That's what this book is full of. People going through their own trauma, their own tragedy, threatened by disaster, and saying yes to the next thing God gives them. With all this going on in our area, here's what I want to do. I want to call us to a special time of prayer and fasting. This Wednesday, it's the 19th, I'm going to call for an all-church fast and an all-church prayer. And we're going to talk about more of this going into September, and what it could look like. But, but for Wednesday, All day Wednesday, I'm going to wake up and be fasting from solid foods. And then we're going to gather together at the orchard lawn at 6 p.m. for those who can make it. We'll pray as one church for God to heal our land. We're going to pray for God to quench the fires. We're going to pray for God to bring peace. We're going to pray for God to help us in the pandemic. We're going to pray for God to move in power. And then we'll leave. We'll go home. We'll break our fast with dinner. If you're not local or you're not able to make it at 6 p.m., then please join us in spirit in your fast. Fast with us throughout the day. Fasting is powerful. As you're fasting, keep track of how often you think of food. And every time you think of food, pray that God would move in power over the fire. Pray that God would move in power over the pandemic. Pray that God would move in power in whatever it is you're dealing with, wherever you may be. Listen, I know the smoke is, is a constant reminder of danger. But if you're far off, you have your own constant reminders of what's threatening your peace. And I want to reframe something when it comes to the smoke and and these things that remind us. See, whenever you see the evidence of something that, that gives you fear, whenever you see that evidence, and as you go about your life, every time you see a certain thing, it causes you to bind up a certain way. Could be the smoke, could be whatever. When you see the smoke, when you smell the smoke, when you brush the ashes off your car, when when visibility is diminished because of the haze, haze, instead of that, oh, no, sinking feeling, what if when you saw those tangible evidences of the danger, of 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 the threat, those became tangible and present reminders to prompt you to pray? What if every time you encountered the evidence of danger that caused fear, you turned it and it became a prompt to pray? I think you would live differently. I think we would feel different. I think we would pray differently. And this is true of anything in your life, any person, any circumstance, any situation that has that evidence that binds you up immediately have that evidence prompt you to pray. May it be the cue for you to step out boldly and pray a powerful prayer. Listen, in this time, the time has passed for timid, small prayers. Oh God, bless my meal. No, 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 no. The time has come for this to be a season of audacious and bold prayers. That God would do things, that he would intervene supernaturally in natural disasters, and and, and globally in pandemics, and in politics, and in in marriages, and in children's lives, that, that people would be healed. Let's begin to pray bold, big, audacious prayers. I think 2020 should call that out of us. We're learning in Ephesians how big and powerful God is in us and through us. Let's pray prayers that rise to that level. And then let's ask God, what's the next thing you would have me do in this situation? God, what would you have me do right now in this situation with the wildfire or with this or with that? What would you have of me? And say yes. And let's go out there and let's be the church that our communities need. I I believe... This is the time for the church to rise up like never before and be a true force to be reckoned with. As we, as we take seriously what we say we believe, we love God so boldly we'll say yes to whatever he asks us. And we love people so intensely we will go forth and do whatever needs to be done. Orchard, you know I love you. We've been doing this for a while. You know I love you. You know I'm praying for you. And if you're here, uh, if you're able to be here on Wednesday, let's, let's meet at 6 p.m. on the lawn. If not, wherever you are, whatever time zone, pray with us. Let's fast on Wednesday. Let's pray on Wednesday. Let's meet together, and we'll, we'll gather next Sunday and discuss. Until then, know that I love you, and love God, and love people.